excited than I am, okay? But today I'm excited and about this passage. Yeah, I'm one of those Christians, you know, if you're getting in worship and you're using your hands and stuff, Gene, I'm carrying the, the TV. That's me, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you're like, that's, no, that's not right. You're up here waving your hands all the time, Pastor Lee. Uh, well, anyway, it's different when you're singing worship songs. I, I don't know. That's just me. But praise, all praise and glory be to the Lord. And I thank the Lord for all the different people uh, that are in his family and in this body. Um, but, you know, most of the time I don't talk about the title. And I want to talk about the title this morning as we get into it. And then, and then we'll um, just read the passage. But our glorious Lord and, and commentators have different different titles for this passage that we're going to look at, starting at verse, um, verse 9 here. Some would say, um, let me get back to my notes here just a little bit, the vision of Jesus or the vision of Christ or the glorious vision. And, and what we see here, it is a vision, and, and that's where we get the word glorious. And so I want to talk about our glorious Lord, and a lot of times we can capitalize. If you see in the Bible where Lord is all capitalized, it, it's referring to Jehovah, that he is God. And I wanted to refer to the sense that I wanted to point out that Jesus is the head of the church. He is our Lord or our King of the church. He is the leader of the church and so when we come back to the word Lord, he is a master, but we can also say uh, he is God. But sometimes when we say he is God, we forget that he is a master, is he, he's the head or the leader of the church. And he is. No matter what the governance of the local body looks like, they had better have Jesus first place in their lives as a board and the church people had better have Jesus first in their life. And as a corporate body, we had better be following the Lord Jesus Christ. And the immediate context and the following chapters point to the reality that Jesus, again, is head of the church. And I am just an under-shepherd. The elders are just under-shepherds. The deacons are just servants. We're all just servants. He is glorious, and he is not only God, but Lord or our head. The, this leads us to the wonderful truth that the glorious vision of our living Lord demands fervent, eager, passionate obedience. So let's break down this passage into three categories. Let's read the passage first. Okay. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in, in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And you'll see, and I got a map in my study Bible that has Patmos out there to the southwest of these cities where the church was thriving. And if you begin and go to the cities, you start with Ephesus, you could go 
clockwise to almost every one of them, right? In kind of a roundabout order. But let's break down this passage and first look at this as the first of three categories. And I also want to make some powerful applications for the church body here. The first category is the commission that we see here for John, the commission. That's a category. But let's now look at the application that we should make. A powerful application, I believe, is that we need to pay attention, church. Pay attention, church, because your brother is commissioned to write to you in verse 9 through 11. So let's consider John's position. We all know he was apostle. (laughs) And we could say, well, he's this ecclesiastical figure, right? Someone higher that we, you know, that we shouldn't even ever be able to lay our eyes upon. But John doesn't come to us in this way. He comes to us as a brother. Or he comes to them as a brother. He doesn't say, hey, I'm an apostle. I walk with Jesus and I have helped build up you churches. You need to look up to me and respect me. But that's not what he does. So what's his position here? Let's back up just a little bit. He's on the island of Patmos because, look at this passage, because the reason is he was preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel, and so he was confined on this barren island, which is not barren anymore. It's quite beautiful. It's a pilgrimage place for Christians. It's a small crescent-shaped island. Uh, They used to port there because of its harbor. I found a website from CNN by typing Island of Patmos. There's several pictures. One of the pictures has a sign, and it has both the English and the Greek, Cave of the Apocalypsis. And the Apocalypsis is the revealing, the revelation. And they just transliterate the Greek into the English. And so they don't say the revelation, they say apocalypsis. Not the way we would spell it either, it's interesting. But then there's a picture of the cave where they think John had a vision, the vision, right? Or visions. But John was there because he had continued to preach the gospel. And Dionysius was persecuting the church. It wasn't Nero, right? Uh, futurists believe that it was earlier and that would have placed it before, right before the destruction of Jerusalem. And so it's after, so it kind of destroys their whole theory and they cannot go anywhere after that. And so they want to pr- place the writing of the revelation of John earlier instead of about 96. But they're wrong. <laughs> we can go into it, but... I already have nine pages of notes, so we're not going to, okay? There's a lot of stuff we should go into, but we're not going to. We're going to try to keep going through this passage. But here he addresses the churches as a fellow brother in suffering for Christ. I find this fascinating. He has a heart for them, 
I mean, notice the Gospel of John and First, Second, and Third John. He has a great love for people, and he comes to them with this great fellow brother, brotherly love. They are all suffering for the gospel. There is great persecution going on right now. And so he's saying, I'm suffering with you. I'm persevering. John had to persevere, right? Note verse 17. So if we say his position, uh, note 17, we'll talk about it later, but when he comes to see Jesus Christ, he, has, he falls down in fear. And we need to understand the great glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ to John in this vision. Let's also talk about John's ability. That is somewhat inadequate, I know, but the position of John, he is coming as a dear fellow brother in Christ. And we ought to have the same attitude or attitude towards one another. What about John's ability? He has great ability, don't you think? As an apostle of Jesus Christ under Jesus' teaching, being there on the day of Pentecost and beginning to preach and teach with Peter, and then going on to continue to teach and preach for many, many, many years. Here in this passage, we find that he's in the Spirit from God. Well, first, it was on the Lord's day. This is not the day of the Lord. This is the Lord's day is what he says. That is, it was a Sunday. Why do we worship on Sunday? That's a day of the week that Jesus was resurrected. Once a year, we celebrate on, on Easter, which is on the Lord's day, the day of the week. He rose again was a Sunday, the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week, the first day of the week. And so we celebrate and we worship because Jesus, he is alive. But on this day, on a Sunday, he was in the Spirit from God. John had been praying probably, or John had been doing something while being filled with, with, with the Spirit, and the Lord gave him a vision. Now we find this in the Old Testament. We're not going to take the time, but there are several examples of this happening to prophets in the Old Testament. So it's very similar to that. But God placed him in a sense where he could see this vision. And so God chose him. He didn't have to work to be on a higher spiritual plane. God chose him. Now, we need to be people who are filled by the Spirit by, because we're walking with Christ, walking in the Spirit, but God chose him. God chose John. And so John was able to write because God's enablement and God's vision. And so what did he hear? He, there was a sound like a trumpet, very similar to Revelation 4.1. With this trumpet sound, there's there's a sense of power, there's a sense of authority, there's a sense of calling too. Don't we all look forward to the trumpet call? First Thessalonians chapter 4, when the church will be raptured, there's many trumpet calls. For some wondrous glory and others, judgment time is at hand. But John's ability comes because the Lord calls him to see 
of vision. And I want to challenge each and every one of you. If you've truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has called you to follow and obey fervently. Now we all have different gifts of the Spirit. We have all have different talents and different circles that we run in. But if we cling to Christ, He will use us. Okay? Despite our inadequacies, despite our weaknesses, God will use you and He wants to use you and He is calling you into service. Maybe not as dramatically as John. <laughs> Obviously pastorly. Okay. I like to state the obvious a lot. Just ask my wife. But John, John was commissioned. And so we see his commission again, right? Write what you see, John. And what we find here are powerful images. And these images, I mean, there's theologians and, and commentarians that are talking about it, and they may not all agree because they may all get this different perspective but it all needs to be rooted in context of the immediate passage it all needs to be rooted in the context of the bible looking back at other passages with similar illustrations but the reality is what we need most to grasp is the enormity of jesus christ the magnificence of jesus christ the place where jesus is in the commands of what jesus gives but here we find some powerful images and some powerful commands. And so he tells them, write to the seven churches. These churches are listed in, again in order. But these churches are critical examples for us today. They're critical examples. So we'll work through the messages to the seven churches in the coming weeks. We're to pay close attention to what was written so long ago. John knew what they were dealing with, didn't he? He comes to them as a fellow brother who is suffering and enduring with them. And he may even have suffered more greatly than many of them. But John could relate. But this message comes from the Lord. And so a challenge for us today is pay attention. Pay attention, church, because your brother is commissioned to write to you. Pay attention, church. The glorious vision of our living Lord demands our fervent obedience. The second category we find in, here in Revelation is the vision. Let's look at the vision. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstand I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Now as I go through this, 
Don't let what I say distract you or minimize the the powerful imagery that we have here. Sometime this week, maybe go home and just read through it and try to to get a, a glimpse of this vision so you know how wonderful your Savior is. I want to read on down to verse 20. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The second application, I believe, here in this passage as we look at the vision from verses 12 through 18, even though I read down to verse 20, The application I believe that we can make is that we need to step in line, church. And maybe I should have put a comma before church and after church. Hey, step in line because your glorious leader has appeared to you. So what's Jesus' position? Jesus' position, again, as we look at this, he is Lord of the church. Where is he standing? He's standing in the middle of the seven golden lampstands. And when we read verse 20, we find that that those represent the seven churches that he's addressing here in the first several chapters of Revelation. And so, sometimes with the images, we we may struggle at knowing exactly what we are to, to understand from everything from them maybe we just get a little portion here a little portion here and maybe there's a couple guys arguing over which one's more important or maybe they're saying no you're wrong you're a little too far out there when you look at this but if there's something we definitely need to know god spells it out for us look at verse 20 spells it out and so the lampstands again are the seven churches and and what are these lampstands doing they hold the light They're to shine bright. And so again, we're to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led church, contagious. We should be contagious in our communities and throughout the land and throughout the world. We're to shine the gospel light everywhere. Where else are they? They are under Jesus' authority, and he is the one that takes care of them and makes them burn bright now in the imagery we can break down every little part we'll try to just a little bit and so there may be not we may not be thorough but these are golden lampstands are they aren't they and so why this is where uh again there can be a lot of disagreements or a lot of different focuses number one old testament references um, 
In the Old Testament, Zechariah 4.2, he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. Now here in this passage, I believe there are each seven lamps, stands. Another thing that gold represents oftentimes in in Scripture is purity, holiness, where are those lampstands that we find? They're in the temple. Gold, what is it? It's priceless. It makes me think of 1 Peter 3.18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Do you know Jesus? Have you turned to Him and had Him cleanse you of all your sins? Are you truly a part of the family of God? You're in this building, you're with other believers, and we're, we're called the church. But are you a true follower of Jesus? Have you truly believed upon Him for the forgiveness of your sins? One of the passages this, this semester, I guess, and good news that that my material keeps going back to is Romans 10.13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.9 and 10 as well. Believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. Have you? There's a lot more here. Let's move on. We see the magnificence of Jesus, but also where is He? He's in the midst. What is transcendence? That's a big theological word, right? God does not need us to exist. God is set apart. He is far beyond all our comprehensions. And yet, He transcends through all of that and is very near. Transcendence is His nearness, Transcendence is his revealing himself. Transcendence is his presence. Transcendence is our ability to know him despite his greatness. But Jesus is in the midst, and so it makes me think of his transcendence. And it says he's like the Son of Man. Well, there's the word of, in the Greek, hos, like this, like that. That's what it appeared. Well, Jesus is the Son of Man, right? He's appearing here like the Son of Man because he claims what is rightfully his on earth as a Son of Man. What is his? The church. Everything's his, but the church is his. You seven churches, remember that. All you churches, remember that. And when we see the Son of Man, it's an allusion to Daniel. It points to his power and authority. Again, he, it points to the fact that he is head of the church also, he is involved. What does that mean? Blah, blah, blah. Right? Pastor's going on. He's involved. He cares. He cares for each locality that is each little body of Christ that joins together to worship him and therefore each individual within that body. He loves you and he cares for you. Note his feet. 
I didn't really write a lot of notes on this one because I was already at page nine, okay? But there's purity, there's power, and there's movement, and there's involvement. He is loving. He cares for his church. That's not near enough on that. But moving on, we also see with all these images, and I tried to categorize them down through there, but not only his position, but the next one, his power, Jesus' power. It's not clicking for me. Anyway, Jesus' power. What we find here, it talks about his hair and the color of his hair. And many note that, you know, yeah, there's some illustrations or some visions that we can have or thoughts that we can have about white, you know, his wisdom, his purity. But also specifically, I think it goes back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, Daniel 7, 10, Daniel 7, 13, Daniel 7, 22. Did you get the Daniel 7? Okay. I said it at least four times. 9, 10, 13, 22. He is the ancient of days, which comes along with a lot of prophetic promises as well as pointing to the fact that he is powerful he is king his eyes are like a flame of fire should remind us that he has a purifying vision and his vision is complete that is nothing can escape his vision and he will purge his church and he will purge this world but he will start with his church Then the sound of many waters. I'm just going to say just wow. <laughs> Can you escape the ocean, the sound of the ocean when you're near it? Think of John being on the island of Patmos. There's power. There's presence. You can't escape. Out of his mouth came something like a sharp two-edged sword. Think about the end of Revelation, what's going to happen. He is judge. And so he will dispense powerful judgment not only on the world, but again, he will deal with his church because he loves his church. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. There's power there, right? Not just solar energy for our modern day batteries. What grows the grass? Water. We need water. Pray for water. Pray for rain, right? And the sun. All you scientists can get more detailed about it. But there's strength. There's power. And it makes me also again think about the end of Revelation. How God will give us light. We also see Jesus' authority. His authority. I'm moving through this really fast. You say, no, no you're not. Yes, we are. His robe. Look at his robe. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to different things. Some say, oh, it's not really his priestly. That's just a common garb for, for prophets even in the day. But, yeah, a lot of them point to his priestly office, that he's a high priest. And as he's moving through the candles, the high priest's job through the night, Revelation, or Le, I mean, sorry, Leviticus 24, 3 and 4, they were to keep the candles lit at night and they were to keep them in order. And Jesus is keeping his church in order and he's keeping them lit. 
We want to be lit, <laughs> right? Spiritually lit up for Christ. Walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And so how are we lit? We're lit up by Jesus and walking with him. But he is, some say it gives us a picture of his judgeship again. The golden sash, we could say even kingship, judgeship, as well as purity. Many go back to his priestly. He is his high priest and looking back at Hebrews. In his right hand, seven stars. Note verse 20 again. His right hand, what we find in the Bible is power and authority and blessing. He has control over all the churches. He has care over the churches. Then Jesus goes on, and so this is, that's really brief. Jesus is, a, it goes on and says, Jesus is the first and the last. And so if, if you were here the last couple of weeks, we go back and we think about when he said that before in this passage in chapter one. We can go back to, to verse eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He is the beginning, he is the end, he is the first, he is the last. Goes on. The living one. Praise the Lord, Jesus is alive. He was dead, but he rose again. He is not in the grave. He is alive. In him is life, and the life was the light of men. John chapter 1, right? The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. But Jesus is life. You know, I've had friends kind of correct me a little bit. I have a friend who has a Dodge Challenger, and so that's really cool, you know. But he told me, you know, some of those electronic EVs, you hear that on the commercials, right? Electronic vehicle. He says some of those have more horsepower than you would think, Lee. A lot of power. Because I think batteries, yeah, it ain't going to have power. You know, I had a little race car track. This is a side story. When I was a kid, one of those race car tracks, I could never control with the gun. They would always fly off the end. I'd just get them built up to speed, and you'd have to slow down. That just wasn't right. So I'd get that picture in my mind. They either go off course or they don't have enough power. But he said they have plenty of power. But the problem that I have, so, hey, I don't have a problem with them if they have power is just my concern that if I were to ever have enough money to buy one, it'll be like my phone and it'd be two, a couple of years and you'd have to buy a new battery. And then you still have to charge them. I don't know. Because I just picture our power grid going down and then I'm going to have to buy gas to charge up my electronic vehicle and I feel like I'd be going back a step. Anyway... You're saying, where are you going, Pastor Lee? Hey, Jesus doesn't need anything else to exist. You know, our batteries, they need to be powered up. We need powered up with food. Jesus needs none of that. In him is life. He is life. He is the source. He is the living one. All we need is him. He needs nothing outside of himself. It goes on to say that he has the keys because he conquered. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 50 through 58, points us to that reality. But this is a place 
the dead are in Hades or hell. And that's in itself another 10 or more minutes of discussion, right? But why this vision? Why these images? I believe John gets to see Jesus in this way to ignite excitement and hope and fervent obedience by to a persecuted and suffering church. Anyone out there trying to persevere? Anybody out there struggling? This is for you. Anybody out there losing energy? (laughs) This is for you. Here's a vision of Jesus, and he cares, and he is coming, and he is in charge. He loves you. The early church needed it. And the reality is, hey, press on, get it done. Step in line, church, because your glorious leader has appeared to you. Final, the final one, the summary, and this is just, this is going to take us just a couple of seconds, okay? Or minutes. The summary. Really, the summary of the book and of the times and the application could be obey now, church, because your glorious Lord has again addressed you. So we see the vision here. So the first part, look at verse 19. Therefore, write the things which you have seen. Well, many say it's up this vision here specifically. Others say it's a whole. We'll just put the whole chapter in it. This is what you've seen. The things which are. To the churches, the things that the churches will deal with. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, we begin. So the things that are letters to the churches, and then the things that will be the rest of Revelation, the things that are going to take place soon that we need to be excited about. Praise the Lord. Jesus is coming, and Jesus is going to set everything right. Now we have the harvest going on, right? Everybody doing good? Super? Anybody weaning cattle or just dealing with cattle, right? There's certain things at this time of year that can be exciting. When you look out at the harvest and you see the dust going up and you see in the combines, in the grain carts, in the trucks, the golden kernels, it's fun to see, right? No? I, I think it's cool. Praise the Lord for the harvest. Praise the Lord for the cattle that we have. I know I was talking to a nephew, and they're struggling with pneumonia with cattle that they've weaned, right? There's still struggles. But if there wasn't corn out in the fields, we wouldn't have combines out there kicking out chaff, right? Or the dust. It would be worthless. Absolutely worthless. Jesus said in John chapter 4, look to the fields. They're white with harvest. They're ready. And you, my friends, are the harvesters. It's ready. Are you excited? But we need to be We need to be patient, but we need to be eager because, again, there is urgency to this message. And this image of the Lord should ignite a flame of passion within us as it does when I look out there and I say, whoa, look at that. That's wonderful. It has been a a dry year. 
It's been a difficult year for many, trying to keep pivots going and other things. But it's worth it, right? I don't know how bountiful it is, but it's worth it. And it's worth it to follow Jesus. It's worth it to keep your eyes on him. It's worth it to keep following and being excited about what Jesus has done and what Jesus is going to do and what Jesus is doing now. And so, church, are you ready to go out to another week and serve the risen Savior? Are you ready to take it all on the chin when it goes wrong? Because... Jesus is with you and he cares. Are you ready to persevere? Are you ready to obey? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you have done for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have not left us alone. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming again. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have called us into service to encourage one another and to shine our light into a lost and dying world that's, that has been blinded by the enemy, by the evil one, a world in desperate need of salvation. Lord, help us to remember, no matter what happens in the upcoming weeks, that you are in control and you care deeply about us and that we have, have a great leader whom we should obey eagerly. Lord, give us the energy, give us the vision of your greatness and the fervor to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you get an idea of, of the great images here in this passage. Could we have our young men come forward? The great images of this passage help reveal to us something that is just absolutely mind-boggling.